0: Really glad for that bumper video because it kind of reminded me what comes next. Oh, that's right. We have a sermon here today. I am uh, excited for us to be walking through this series entitled The Seven Deadly Sins. And if you've been with us, you know that we've been looking at the seven deadly sins as recorded in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. This is the last Sunday of January in a brand new year, and it's the last time I can say this what sins in your life, what sins do we want to leave in 2023? What, what sins do we want to leave there? What cycle of sin do we want to break in 2024? You know, I, I mentioned the last couple of weeks that in the book of Judges, you see the nation of Israel going through this cycle over and over again, obedience, disobedience, uh, judgment, repentance, back to obedience; disobedience, judgment, repentance, back to obedience; disobedience, just over and over and over again. The cycle continues. You know that cycle exists in the lives of many individuals today. What egregious habit? What what sinful reoccurrence? Do you want God to help you break? God is able. Amen. He's more powerful than we could ever imagine, and He wants to set us free from whatever holds us fast. Like bad eating and not exercising is damaging to our physical health. And unforgiveness and distrust is bad to our relational health. And overspending and not budgeting is bad to our financial health. So sin and disobedience is bad to our spiritual health. And so this series on sin might catch us a little bit short, might be just a little bit personal, might feel like we're stepping on each other's toes. It's a necessary, necessary thing for us to look at because we see it reoccurring in the Bible over and over and over again. What does the Bible say about sin? It says don't cozy up to carnality. It says don't dance with disobedience. It says don't snuggle with sin. No, be alarmed by it. Be put off by it. The Bible says God hates sin. In fact, what else does the Bible say? It says that sin is missing the mark. It says that sin may be pleasurable for a season, but in the end brings judgment. It says sin enslaves. Sin is destructive. Sin must be addressed. Good news is it has been addressed through Jesus Christ. Can I hear a big amen? And it also says sin must stop. The seven deadly sins from history are a little different list than the one we see in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. But I want you to look at this list and I wanna make a statement about it. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. Do you know what's interesting about that list? This is where I'm gonna step on some toes. Look at your neighbor and make sure their shoes are on. I don't wanna bruise a toenail. Do you know that this list of sin is considered okay by many Christians. A little bit of lust, that can't hurt. Gluttony, that doesn't matter. Greed, sloth, laziness, wrath, envy, oh, none of that matters. And yet these sins exist in many of the Bible lists and God says he hates them. He detests them. There are many, many lists of sin throughout Scripture, and I have them in the sermon notes. If you have your app, you'll see those listed there. We've talked about them in previous weeks. But the one that I want us to talk about is the list in chapter 6 of Proverbs, 16 through 19, where it says that God hates sin. Notice, there are six things God hates, seven that are detestable to him. God says, I hate these things. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, do we hate what God hates, and do we love what God loves? Or do we love what he hates and hate what he loves? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to run into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Week one, we talked about pride, and we used the example of King Nebuchadnezzar and King Belshazzar in the book of Daniel is just prideful, arrogant people that paid a dear price. Last week, we talked about murder, and we talked about the very first murder in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, and talked about how we need to protect and respect life. And today, we're going to talk about lying. It's one of the Ten Commandments, and it's also one of the big seven, the seven sins that God hates. Why would God take so much time over and over again? We see him talk about it over and over again. Why does he address lying over and over again? Because he hates it. It's destructive. It's destructive of people and their relationships. So I want us to take a few moments here today and talk about the truth about lying. What is the truth about lying? Why is it so penetratingly awful and difficult? Well, first of all, God hates it. He says that when we lie, we are aligning ourselves with the father of lies, Satan. In fact, if I'm a liar, the Bible says if I'm a liar, then the reality is someone else doesn't know what I'm saying. They, they, they can't believe me at all. If if you're known as a liar, I can't really trust you. And if we don't have trust, we don't have much of a relationship. And our relationship dries up. It becomes like paper currency from a failed government. It has no value. Because we just have no way of connecting. Dishonesty, deceit, lying. It's fraudulent. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, 17, food gained by fraud tastes sweet, but one ends up with a mouthful of gravel. Psalm 5:5 says, you hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. Satan is the father of lies. He speaks his negative tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. A false witness will not go unpunished, and whoever pours out lies will not go free. There are three case studies that I want us to think about for just a few moments, and we're going to move kind of quickly to make sure that we stay within the, the confines of our time here today. But the first one is found in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. When we think of the high cost of deceit, the high cost of deception, the high cost of dishonesty and lying, This is one of the first stories that comes to my mind. You remember how it goes? It says there was a man named Ananias together with his wife, Sapphira, and they sold a piece of property, and with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it to the apostles' feet. Now, on the surface, it doesn't seem like a really, really big problem, but but they were living a lie. Because in Acts chapter 2 and in the early chapters of the book of Acts, the early church had everything in common. They were living in a communal environment where everybody shared everything, and yet for some reason, Ananias and Phyra tried to kind of slip one over on everybody and with greed and deception, hold a portion back. They would have been much better off to say, hey, you know, this is our property, we'd like to keep some of it back, and been at least honest about it. But they were were trying to be deceptive about it. Then Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan, again, Ananias and Sapphira aligned with Satan, why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart and lie to the Holy Spirit? And you kept for yourself some of the money you received. Didn't it belong to you in the first place? I mean, why didn't you just tell us about it? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to humans, but to God. And then things get dicey. You remember this part of the story? Boom. Adam falls flat. Dead. Now, how many think that's pretty severe judgment? In fact, what if when we left the worship center here today and walked out, all the liars in our church today started dying on the patio? And you non-liars would just step over them to get to your car. That would be a little bit unnerving, wouldn't it? I think it would be terrible for church growth, by the way. Oh, yeah, BCA, don't go down there, man. People die. Um, And yet, it's such a powerful picture when you think of it. All the early church, the apostles, whoever was there at that moment are witnessing this. And then Sapphira, who doesn't know what happened to her husband, she comes on the scene, and she dies. And then it says, verse 11, a great fear seized the whole church And all who heard about it, oh, really? (laughs) You know, every white lie, every exaggerated truth. I mean, there's so many different forms of lies. I'm sure everybody was shaking in their boots. As I think of the story, I I think of the why of the lie. They tried to deceive. I think of the aligning of the lying. When we lie, we're aligning ourselves with the father of lies, Satan. I think as I read the story, that secrets don't work, they're eventually going to be revealed. They were in Adam and, or in Ananias and Sapphira's case. Lying is destructive. We see that here. And it's never private. It's never just me. I just don't affect myself. I affect those around me. There's a ripple effect. Notice three things about this story they tried to fool man, they tried to fool God, but they only fooled themselves. When we lie, we think we're getting away with something. When we're deceptive, we think we're cutting corners and massaging the truth in a way that's palatable. God says no. The second case study is a story about Achan in Joshua chapter 7, 1 through 26. Too long, we're not going to read that, but let me pull out a couple of very interesting things. Joshua and the people of Israel had just conquered Jericho. And God tells them in Joshua chapter 6, verse 28, do not take any of the plunder. Do not take the devoted things for yourself. Leave it there. You see, in the infancy stages of Israel's history, there were three things, three things that God was looking for. He was looking for ethnic separation to kind of keep his people pure in that sense. He was looking for geographic separation. He was, built, he was creating a, a holy land for them to live alone. And then, of course, spiritual separation where they would worship the one true God in a, a world of idols and false worship. And he didn't want them to take any of these idols or devoted things from Jericho. But one guy disobeyed. Remember the story? Achan. He disobeys, he deceives, he lives a lie. In verses two through nine of Joshua chapter seven, Joshua, not knowing about what Achan did, sends his army up to Ai to conquer the enemy. Now that doesn't stand for uh, artificial intelligence. This is actually a people, okay? Sends them up to Ai and they come back having been routed. And Josh was devastated. First time it's ever happened. He's absolutely devastated. God, I thought you were with us. How could you let that happen? The Bible says he falls on the ground. He's wailing and weeping and, you know, you know tearing his clothing. And he's just overwhelmed. And what does it say? God comes on the scene in verse 10. And he says, would you get up? Quit your whining already. This thing that happens is because of your fault. There's sin in the camp. There's sin in your camp, Joshua. You need to find it. You need to eradicate it. And you need to do it now. So what does Achan do? Verse 16. He starts bringing people forward, tribe by tribe, family by family. And finally, Achan comes on the scene. And he's discovered. He's found out. He is killed. His family is killed. And everything he owned is burnt. As you read that story, there's no getting away from understanding at least three things. Hidden secrets will be found out. Joshua says, Achan, don't hide this from me anymore. And then he sent people to find what was hidden under his tent. And they found the hidden treasure. Obedience and truth-telling matters to God over and over and over again. It matters. It matters to God. And again, your sin doesn't just hurt you. It hurts those around you. What does it mean to have character and integrity? Well, from the story of Achan, we see three things. When you live a life of character, you have nothing to hide. Achan had a lot to hide. He hid it under his tent. He was hoping to get away with it. You have nothing to fear. Achan had a lot to fear. He was guilty as charged. He knew God was a jealous God and would judge him severely. And you have nothing to lose if you have character. Aiken had everything to lose, and he did. You know, I have the privilege of uh, teaching pastors and uh, ministry leaders on uh, ethics and virtue, and I use this little visual. Uh, it's it's kind of circular. These days, I call it the character apple because uh, a character has a core, it has uh, meat, and it has a skin. Has kind of three parts, and and here you can kind of see that. You know. Who am I at my core? If we have a rotten core, then everything else is going to be rotten. Uh, You can kind of tilt your head one way and say all these words are synonymous. I like to kind of, you know, differentiate them just a little bit. So to me, integrity is who I am really at my core. Virtues is what I think about and respond and live out based on who I am. So who I am determines kind of how I respond and live, And then ethics is all about how I relate to other people. That's the manifestation of who I am at my core and what I think about things, and it's manifested in how I treat people around me. I think about Aiken. He was rotten to the core. He struggled in virtue-keeping, and it manifests in his carelessness with regard to others. The final case study is a story you're very familiar with from Genesis chapter 3, the story of Adam and Eve. And we don't have to go through that story because you know it so, so well. But the part that's very interesting to me is in the early verses, the serpent comes up to Eve and says, what is it that God told you? And she says, God says, you can eat from any tree except the forbidden tree. You can't eat that. Eat from that tree. And the serpent says... God didn't mean that. Certainly you can eat it. Certainly you won't die. He told a lie. And what did she do? She believed a lie. Then she acted on that lie. She says, Adam, come on over here. They were complicit together. They both ate of the forbidden fruit. And then they thought they could live a lie with nobody knowing and God knows immediately and calls them out and they run and try to find cover because they were naked and afraid. And then they experience the painful results of the lie. As I think about the story in Genesis chapter 3, I'm reminded again, very similar theme. Deceit is costly, lies are destructive, and judgment is inevitable. We think we can... Fool everybody. Listen to this. We think we can fool God. What? He sees everything and knows everything. What gives us that idea? I want to kind of bring all this together by sharing something that that I've discovered and uh, believe pretty deeply As I've studied just tons and tons of scriptures that deal with lying and falsehood and dishonesty and deceit. I see a downward spiral, a downward cycle of dishonesty that if we don't break that downward spiral at stage one or two or three, we are going to fall headlong into really serious destruction. We're all going to be tempted from time to time to do the wrong thing, but the goal is to rise above that and do the right thing. And so I want you to join me as we think of these three case studies, I want you to look at... The importance of stopping this cycle of dishonesty that lead us downward. The first thing I see is what I call distortion. This is compromised thoughts. This is what happened in Genesis chapter 3-4 when the serpent said to Eve, certainly you're not going to die. It put a thought in her mind that she ran with a little bit. She shared it with her husband and he ran with it as well. And they began to think, well, maybe... And that leads me to James 1.8. Such a person who thinks that way is double-minded and unstable. You see, when we find ourselves thinking wrongly, distorted, we need to get off this downward spiral. We need to get off that train. We need to get off that roller coaster that's taking us down as quickly as we possibly can. We need to be able to detect that and unearth that and be aware of that. Or we're going to go to number two, which is duplicity. A compromised heart. It says here, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The integrity, Proverbs says, of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their what? Duplicity. Well, maybe the devil, maybe God, maybe the devil, maybe God, maybe the devil, maybe God. That's a dangerous place to be in. Friends, there is only one right way, and it's God's way. Once we start to entertain that Satan's way is maybe an option, we have begun a freefall. We're basically saying that my heart is compromised. We need to stop the cycle right then. Some of you within the sound of my voice might be in the middle of a lie with your spouse, maybe at work, maybe in some other situation where you're, you're really kind of sowing seeds of deception in one way or another. At least it's not above-board true. I can think of so many marriages and families that I've worked with through the years that really at the the core of their demise was deceit and distrust and dishonesty. Number four, deliberation, a compromised intent. Think about it for a moment. Adam and Eve have the thought. They start to let it stir a little bit. Then they begin to tease it out just a little bit more. Well, what, what if? Maybe we can. Let's possibly try it. Instead of deliberating and continually thinking about the option, 1 Peter 2.1 says, rid yourself of all deceit. Get rid of it. If you sense any deceit or dishonesty or untruth, get it out, get it out now. It's gonna destroy you, it's gonna hurt other people. Get it out of your life. People who struggle with addictions are telling one lie to cover up another lie to cover up another lie. Some marriages, you have one spouse or another telling one lie to cover up another lie to cover up another lie. And maybe one of the worst lies is the lies we tell ourselves. Well, I'm okay. It's not that big a deal. And I'll figure this out later. I'll get things right later. Compromised heart. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes a crooked path will be found out. And then deception, as we continue to move down, down, down. Deception is a compromised character, where our character becomes stained and we become soiled at the core of who we are. Our integrity, our virtue, our our ethics are called into question because we have compromised. Psalm 119, 163 says, I hate and detest falsehood, but I love your law, the truth. Proverbs 12, says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Deception, a compromised character. And if we don't stop the downward cycle by then, it will lead... To full-blown disobedience, it did for Samson. With Delilah, it did for David with Bathsheba. It did for Adam and Eve. With the serpent, it did for Ananias taking the stuff. It did for Ananias as a fire. Compromised actions. God says, "Don't disobey. Obey. If you love me, keep my commands." Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Luke 646. Over and over in Scripture, we see this theme over and over again. We, we've seen it and heard it and read it so much, it's easy to just kind of pass right by it. If we obey, we'll be blessed and rewarded. If we disobey, we will not. Ananias and Sapphira are a vivid example of that. So are Adam and Eve, and so is Achan. Disobedience where we take the bite of the apple, where we take the devoted thing, where we keep back part of the price of the land and make it seem like we're throwing it all in. That will lead to discovery, a compromised reputation. The Bible says this in Numbers 20, uh, 32, 23, be sure your sins will find you out. Remember that verse? And it says in Luke 12, 2 and 3, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roof. What is done in secret will one day be shouted in the streets. I was counseling with a pastor friend the other day with regard to the fact that he had another pastor come to him about some indiscretion. And I was guiding him on how he had to kind of bring that to the forefront because it's eventually going to come out. He needs to talk to his pastor. They need to meet. They need to bring that into uh, you know, full disclosure. And then they need to work on, on, on getting that right and getting rehabilitated. No more playing around. Because if we let deceit, dishonesty, sin fester, it's eventually going to spill. And it's going to grow, 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 and then spill out and mess all sorts of people up. What unconfessed sin do we have in our heart? What secret sin are we hoarding? What's done in secret will one day be shouted in the streets? We need to confess it. We need to reveal it. And then destruction, the very final, compromised consequences. A false witness will not go unpunished, and whoever pours out lies will perish. Those are pretty strong words. James 1, 14 and 15 talks about the end result of yielding to temptation and living a life of sin, and that is death. If you think of this downward spiral, take a look at this little visual on the very next page. The goal is to get off the train that's going down, 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 down. When we sense something's wrong up here, we we need to get that right. And then if we're starting to kind of carry it in our heart. We need to get, get, get it right. If we keep going and kind of teasing it out and deliberate on it a little bit and, and finally go into full-blown deception and disobedience, you know we're starting to kind of let that thing take us by storm. Ask yourself this question. Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me and cleanse me from every sin and set me free. We're talking about the sin of deception and lying today but it relates to every sin. What are we harboring in our heart that is gonna hurt our marriage, hurt our family, hurt our relationships, hurt our walk with God, hurt our people we work with, our business partners, our friendships? Ananias and Sapphira, boom, went all the way down. Adam and Eve, all the way down. Achan, all the way down. But Samson and David kind of rerouted things a little bit, maybe Adam and Eve a little bit too, but David and Samson kind of remind us that there's always deliverance through our loving Lord. Amen? We might find ourselves at a point in life where we look back and say, you know, I I really botched things up. You might be here today saying, you know, I've been living a lie. I've been deceiving people. I've been hoarding on to some, some sinful activity. Maybe it's dishonesty. The Bible says to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, to wash our hands, to purify our hearts, to run to God, to run to God. Look at Proverbs 28:13: Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Isn't that good news? We need to not conceal, but reveal if we want to get healed. Think about that. Remember that. I need to not conceal, I need to reveal by confessing to the Lord and allow him to forgive and bring healing. As I think of these stories here today, I want to give just this final summarizing statement and then we're gonna pray. Our sin is never private, it always is gonna hurt other people. Our sin is always destructive, Our sin is never, ever wise, ever. But it's always forgivable through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, as we talk about a topic that is maybe less fun than hope and forgiveness and deliverance, you know, when we talk about deception and dishonesty, God, we're really facing up to the fact of what your Bible talks about over and over again, and that is sin is real, and each of us are fallen creatures who are susceptible and vulnerable to sinful conduct. And we need to face it firsthand. You know, rub our face in it just a little bit and, and uh, confess our shortcomings, confess our sins, confess our disobedience. And today, Lord, as we talk about deception and and distrust, and mistrust, and and deceit, and fraudulent living, God, I pray that you'll do a miracle in anybody's life who says, you know what? That's me. That's me. I've been living a lie. I've been believing a lie. I've been telling a lie. And it's messing me up inside. I want to be freed from this thing. It's destroying me from the inside out. I'm trying to cover up with cover up with cover up just to try to stay ahead of it. And it is destroying me. And I want to come clean. I want to break the cycle of deceit. I want to be a truth teller. I want to be a relationship builder based on honesty. I want to love the things God loves and hate the things God hates and he hates lying. And so I want to hate that. And so I want to draw a line in the sand. From this day forward, I want to live a life of integrity and character and virtue and honor Christ in all ways. And I'm going to give him my past and ask him to forgive me and help me rise above it and to break that downward cycle. Get off that train. Get off that train early and forever. Lord, I pray for every marriage that might kind of be entangled in, in this whole arena of maybe some mistrust through some dishonest activities through the years. And it's hard to kind of break beyond that. God, I pray you'll do a miracle of healing. A miracle of healing and restore that relationship. I pray for parents and kids, kids and parents that maybe find themselves in a situation where there's been a break of trust. I pray for other relationships the same way, Lord. With every head bowed and, and every eye closed, I just want to ask this question here today. Nobody looking around, just between you and the Lord. How many would say, I need to break free from some things, some, some bad habits, some conduct that are really hurting me and people around me. Please pray for me. Would you lift your hand and just hold it there for a while? Yeah. God bless you for your honesty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Friends, I can't tell you how touching that is to see your hands and for you to just basically embrace the fact that we've all blown it in some way, shape, or form in our life. And to recognize that and run to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me. I need a fresh start. I need come clean on this or that and need to move forward let me ask one more question more specific I'm going to say I have a relationship that is hurting because of mistrust or distrust deceit or dishonesty and I need God to do a miracle of healing in that relationship would you raise your hand and just hold it there for a moment Yeah. yeah. God bless you Lord you know our frame you know our inner thinking you know our every circumstance and Lord I pray that you'll just pour out by your grace healing and deliverance in this area specifically Lord of truth-telling and mistrust and distrust and deceit but Lord in every area of our life where sin raises its ugly head and seems to dominate we want to hate the things you hate and love the things you love So I pray for deliverance. I pray for forgiveness. I pray regret is put behind us and hope is now out in front of us. Give us the strength and determination to love you and serve you in all ways. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, amen Amen and amen.